0: where's Fielder? He's gone to the dogs.
1: Gone to the dogs podcast your host Steve Fielder here coming at you one more time through the miracle of Al Gore's internet. I've got a great voice voice I've got a terrible voice but I got a great guest for you to enjoy this week and uh, you know we come at you every week on beginning on Monday morning but Once the podcast is online, it's there forever. So you can go back and check them anytime that you want. Uh, I will take just a brief moment to thank Buddy Woodbury, Jason Doobie, uh, Shannon, my producer out at DU Hunting Supply uh, for once again, providing the platform and the means for me to come to you each week. And uh, if you need anything in the line of dog supplies, hunting supplies, apparel, um, hats, shirts, whatever. Uh, Go see the good folks at dusupply.com. They'll treat you right. Okay, today, without further ado, I want to introduce someone to you. You're going to recognize right away this voice because I don't think there's very many coon hunters out across the country that haven't met uh, Duke. And uh, You'll notice that he's not from southern Mississippi. He's got a little bit different accent, comes from way up in the Yankee land, up in, in Connecticut, Duke, Prue. How you doing, buddy?
2: Good. How are you, Steve?
1: I'm doing great. Well, you know, one of my major accomplishments when I was at UKC was learning how to properly pronounce your name. I think I'm doing it right, aren't I?
2: You have it right down to the T.
1: All right. You do. And it's spelled P-R-O-U-L-X. Correct. And I imagine that you get all kinds of mispronunciations, don't you? Not many get it
2: right. I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> I guess that's
1: French origin maybe, right? Yes, it's French. Yeah. Correct. Awesome. Well, Duke, it's just great to have you on board today. And uh, I really would have had you earlier, but you're a per pretty elusive guy i know i've been trying to nail you down for an article for american Cooner magazine for a quite a long time and i realize how busy you are and and all that so i definitely understand but uh man you've got a resume in this hunting sport that few people uh will ever attain and uh and there probably are some newer listeners or younger hunters that don't uh, realize just what all you've been up to over the years with the uh, with the coon hounds. Before we get into a lot of that, I wanted to just, uh, you know, introduce you to my audience and just, you know, ask you a few brief things about who you are, where you were born, where you live now, what you do for a living, about your family. Anything of that personal nature, can you give me a little bio uh bio there, Duke?
2: Well, I was born and raised right here in a little town called Norwich, Connecticut, uh, which I live um not more than ten miles from there now. I've lived here all my all my life
1: That's great, that's great so um uh, uh, is that uh you've got some property i believe around you guys are involved i know in horses quite heavily and and all of that uh well tell me first of all about your family about your wife and your daughter well um
2: i got married oh boy i would tell you you know it's bad you know you get old you can't remember when you got married (laughs) but i've been married for some time we have a 14 year old daughter um And her and her mom are buried deep in these horses. Um, And it takes a lot of our time. Uh, Blessed with great parents. Um,
1: Absolutely. I've been blessed to meet them both, and they are absolute jewels.
2: So, you know, in saying that, without them, I would never have been successful in the coon dog business ever.
1: Well, we're going to talk. When you're traveling, Steve, when
2: you're traveling, uh, how can you raise puppies? Mm-hmm. You know, who takes care of the dogs that are home when you're gone?
1: Right. Right. Yeah, that doesn't stop, that care aspect, no. you know.
2: Absolutely not.
1: Well, Ella and I just are at the point now in retirement. I've got a couple of dogs, but they're farmed out with guys, partners. Right. And here we, we just have a, a house dog here. And it's a hassle if you even want to go to a movie or whatever. You know, you well, got to do something with the dog.
2: And and that's our life here. Between you know, we have a small farm. Um, like I said, I live out. In, I do live out in the country. Everybody thinks the Northeast is city. I live out in the country. Um, behind my house, there's about a thousand acres of state land. Now, my dad, and mom live across the street and up the road just a bit. Um, you know, Stones throw. And behind their place is about four thousand acres. So we live out in the country. Yeah, single lane road where I live. You know, you can let dogs run loose, whatnot. But You know, even to go to dinner, it's hard to have Mm -hmm. animals.
0: Oh, yeah,
1: for sure. You know,
2: our horse farm, uh, my wife leases a place about six miles from here, um, and she's got anywhere from 16 to 24 head of horses there all the time.
1: Wow. Wow. Now, these are horses she's boarding or training, or are they all your horses? Most of them all.
2: Yes, most of them are all training horses. She does pleasure horses, and most of them are all training horses. Uh, I we have, you know, She has four or five of hers, but then most of them are all training horses that are in there.
1: Well, since we typically talk about family a little bit in this opening portion of the show, um, just give us a little rundown of, uh, of Melissa's uh, successes and now with Lexi and, and and all. You've done a lot of winning on the major, major uh, stage
2: yeah um, Melissa she rides pleasure horses mostly now um, paints Appaloosas quarter horses are mostly Appaloosas I, I, and if I was to quote me I, I'd be wrong but I think she's won 13 or 14 world titles
0: wow
1: that's amazing yeah. and
2: again just like the Coon Dog Steve is to travel most of the stuff is always in um, Fort Worth Texas Tulsa Oklahoma Uh, You know, it's a lot of beating on the road, but now, fortunately, my daughter is stepping into her footsteps. She's won now twice in a row um, the youth world.
1: Yeah. Well, that, Kim, is going to be a good segue, but I'm not ready to go there quite yet, about how you and I first met. And it involved, uh, in a way, horses, I believe, and uh, you being at at the World Hunt, but uh, I, I want to, before we get into that, what, uh, when did you actually begin hunting? Uh, was it with your dad or was it with other family members or, ne- or neighbors? Or how'd that start?
2: I'd say back in the, well, I was born in 68. My mom and dad both coon hunted, And, mm-hmm. of course, being a, a youngster, you wanted to go all the time with your dad, you know, coon hunting at night because there yes. was times he carried me. I, I couldn't have been four or five years old. Um, and like a lot of people start and, uh, and then my mom coon hunted, uh, you know, back when my dad first started, it was more because the hides were $40, $50 a piece. And they, they coon hunted for hides. Sure. Um, and then as they hunted and my dad, you know, he'd bought dogs from Joe house and merchant. And, you know, then they started, you know, they did competitions here locally, but you know, back then you'd go to a local coon hunt. You scene on here, there'd be 60 dogs.
1: <laughs> right. And that's in Connecticut. Think about it.
2: That yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. here. Right. You know,
1: I'm and amazing. that's how
2: I got started. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when you know, it was funny because when the coon hides, when the prices went down, all these old hunters, a lot of them all quit. Right. You know, and I, yeah. and of course, I kept hunting and, uh, you know, it was just a passion. I guess you grow up doing it and you just, you know, you learn it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Was there any uh, early dogs? You mentioned your dad bought dogs from some of the top breeders back in that day. Do you remember any of those early coon hounds back from those days?
2: Well, my dad, my, when I was just a boy, my dad had a big old, more like a red and white dog, um, almost liver color, You know, almost like a bird dog. He was a big old dog. I bet he weighed 80, 90 pounds, and he called him Smokey. And I believe he bought him from Joe House and Mm -hmm. uh or through him through somebody that he came from joe house and that was probably my old favorite dog was you know go home with him Uh, he was kind of quiet on the ground didn't say a lot just treat you treat coons and he was kind of my favorite to take i I followed him as a young kid you know going my dad
1: right right well Um, back then, kind of what did you guys do? Did you walk from the house or did you drive out somewhere to hunt or what was the terrain like? And, you know, how was hunting back in those days in the 60s? Well, that's probably, we're probably talking in the 70s. 74, 75. Mm -hmm.
2: And in the early 70s, mid 70s, we lived in a lot of small dairy farm country. You know, a lot of these farms were two or 300 acres. We had dairy farms everywhere locally around us. And back then, see, we didn't travel to hunt. I mean, my dad put dogs in a truck, and I think a few times we used to have a station wagon car we hunted out of.
1: Right. That was my well, experience, we, too, dude.
2: And we never, I think we would go ten miles to go hunt. You know what I mean? The furthest maybe 15 tops and compared to today, where sometimes I drive an hour and a half to go coon hunt.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that's all changed a lot. Uh, when I lived in Michigan, of course, I had about thirty drops within fifteen miles of the house. But sure. when I lived in West Virginia, it was sometimes a seventy-mile drive to go gocoon right. hunting. You know, so if you love it, you figure out a way to do it. I guess is absolutely, probably, yeah, yeah. You well, it to
2: tell you like, to elaborate on that a little bit. When, yeah, as a boy, when I started to hunt alone. Because you know me, I, I travel alone, I do pretty much everything alone, so course, as I coon hunted, when I got old enough to get through the woods ten eleven years old, I went by myself. Mm-hmm. and I lived on the dead end road, and there was a dairy farm down there, and then across the street, the main road, which was never really busy at that time, a man a lawyer owned a bunch of property, and then we hunt well I used to hunt on a tractor alone there with a <laughs> <to> the trailer. <laughs>
1: That was a forerunner of your side or your uh, ATV then. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, it was a old
2: wheel horse, twenty horsepower tractor. I took the mower deck off, and I'd have that wag with the dog box, and that's how I coos.
1: I'll be darned! <laughs> I can see that. I can just envision this kid <laughs> with a lawnmower and a dog box trailer on the back. Huh? Yep, awesome. that's how
2: I. That's how I started
1: coos. Well, that that's pretty in, <laughs> incredible. Well, um did uh, what age did the competition thing enter the the scene for you? I'd say uh
2: um, for me, of course, like I said my, my folks both competition my mom would show dogs, my mom would hunt and hunts. Mm. So I'd go with my mom and my dad. You know, I always wanted to go with my dad, cost him cash. You know, back then, there was some women's cast, Do you remember that? Years and no, years ago, yeah. they had women's cast. And uh, so I would go with my mom and dad any chance I could get. Mm. And But I started, I'd say I'd start hunting the hunts alone or going with a friend would take me, I would say it was about 1978
1: or 79. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, let's see, I'm t- thinking back. I was already back from the military, came back in July 73, uh, a fateful meeting with Fred Miller at Plot Days that year that led to a friendship and ultimately a job for me. But the 70s, I was pretty active in, in coon hunting until up until 83 when I went to Michigan, and that kind of slowed down my personal competition hunting and all right. that. one. When I did that, but, uh, yeah, well that, uh, as you said, the hunts were much bigger back then. Um, and it was three hour. Yeah. Yeah. I just talked to somebody the other day about that. And we were talking about the, uh, the length of time, you know, that we spent out there and it's pretty incredible. And, but uh,
2: you, you remember Steve in those days, you know, you, you, liable to have a dog that never treated the cast. It run and run and run.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, you just didn't have the tree dogs and yeah, there was a lot of running dogs back then. I, I remember and some of you better tree dogs back that day were black and tans, red bones. They really were.
1: Yeah, well that's true. And that was my experience back in West Virginia too, because a lot of the dogs that were brought in, even out of some of the better advertised stud dogs, you know, that were in American Coon or Full Cry. Uh, they came into our part of the country, and they, all they wanted to do was, well, we didn't have many uh, deer back then, but we yep. had a lot of fox. We had yep. gray fox and red fox, and, man, uh, those dogs were reaching back to their roots for sure because it was tough to find a walker dog that would tree and stay tree, you know.
2: Well, about right. 78, 79, my dad time kind of figured it was time for me to have my own dog because I wanted to hunt alone. So mm-hmm. I had, we tried, I don't know how many dogs we tried and just couldn't find anything, you know, that was, you know, they're trashy. You know, my, cause my dad knew I wanted only, he didn't want me chasing a dog, running deer all night. Right. And we went through quite a few and, uh, I had a, he had a little walker dog. in you know, that it was a bad little dog and I can't remember his name now, but that was the one I first started to hunt alone mm-hmm. and he died. Um, we don't know if he got into poison or something, but he died.
0: Oh.
2: And my dad searched for a year and a half, and finally, my first good dog solo was an English dog. I'll be darn.
1: I didn't know yep. there was anything else but a Walker dog in your. Well, I do. We do know about a black and tan that occupied a lot of your time, and we're going to talk yep. about that. But, but uh, so it was an English dog. Were you yep. into? Uh, Pedigrees or anything at that time to remember? You wondering. know, I,
2: I, I tell you what happened. We bought this dog, and this is a funny story because I always love going every year. We went to the Kenton Nationals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my dad had met several different dog dealers and yada yada. And there was a gentleman there. He was from Paducah, Kentucky. His name was Bill Cantor. And he with a lot of Vance's crowd and Billy dogs and spring rock dogs. And I guess he was a, he was a big farmer down there. Cause I eventually went to his place once, but my dad he had, and the man just hit it off. with My dad, and you know, my dad, he's a talker. Oh yeah. And he finally yeah. pulled my dad aside and he, and my dad said, Hey, listen, I'm trying to get my boy a dog. And, uh, I'd worked a vegetable stand at the end of my road that summer to save up money to buy a dog. And, uh, and my mom and dad, they, you know, they were willing to help me get a dog. And
0: he finally pulled my dad
2: aside, and he brought my dad around. You know, all them trade rows, you see me in Canton? Oh, yeah. And he told my dad, he said, you see that English dog right there? He said, he come out of my country. He said, that's a good one. He said, I'll promise you that. He said, the man doesn't know what he had. Mm-hmm. Well, long story short, the man let us take the dog hunting that night. Trade a couple coons with him that night. We bought him. And that was my first solo dog of hunting that I competition on was that English dog. And he was he was a good dog.
1: Yeah. And what would you call him? You remember? His
2: name was Blade.
1: Blade. Yep. Mm-hmm. Red ticked and, no.
2: and that summer, in that fall and spring, I made him a night champion. I had a couple wins towards grand on him. I would made him a, a, a show champion. He had two or three wins towards grand on that. And that winter came
0: in February. And somebody stole him Mm-mm. out of our yard.
1: Wow. Never found him. Well, my dad
2: kind of, we, we what happened was they seen, the only reason they, knew they stole him is our neighbor had an elderly man, her dad, he used to sit in a car every day. He was in a, um, a walker. Yeah. And he said he saw this vehicle, pull in. He lived across the street, and there was snow on the ground. And, and they walked right over that hill. My Dad thinks he knows who took the dog could never prove it um because mm. somebody knew the dog ought to steal it, but yeah, we never did get the dog back
1: yeah, you know that only happened to one, me one time it actually happened to my dad and that's such an aggravating thing, and I can remember several cases you know at the registries when dogs were stolen, and uh oh, I could go into story after story on that, but I better not. That's a rabbit I better not chase today. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so about how old were you at that point?
2: Well, that was in 1980. Okay. So I was uh, about 12.
0: I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yep. Well, I was
2: about 12, but that dog done me right. But then we went back. My dad made some phone calls. We got a hold of this Bill Cantor down there in kentucky and my dad had a couple guys his buddies hung around they drove me from connecticut all the way to paducah to this canner's place to try out a couple dogs that's where i actually got my first pca membership I was there uh-huh, we went
1: you went to a hunt and you joined pkc way back yeah yep. what's your number do, do you remember
2: well my number now is
1: 23405 i see yeah mine's in the 5, uh, starts with a five so i'm i came to well, see quite you know what that happens i
2: had let my pca membership go so long when i started back pkc they did give me a whole nother membership oh, I I over. yeah so I, that, that was the first place i ever went and that's where i bought the dog we tried out a couple of dogs that week we we're there for three, a couple of days and the dog i met you with up at the uh, princeton Indiana in 84 that was the same dog i bought from that man
1: i got you well i was gonna that's a good segue into that uh, but I wanted to ask you real quickly, when in your earliest uh, memories of competition hunting, uh, did you like it right away? Was there anything that kind of, you know, you didn't like or you you were on the fence about or were you just all about it from, from early on?
2: I would say I was all in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I can remember. Uh, my first year at UKC full-time, Mayfield, Kentucky, and we had the hunt there, the UKC World Hunt, and that's where the boy from Evansville, in, uh, Indiana uh, handled the dog that John East owned. What was the dog's name? Uh, oh, goodness, I can't, I can't think of that right now, but I started a with UKC as a field rep back in 1978, the first year the world hunt was held. Okay. But, okay, so we did the Mayfield in 83, and I'll think, I'll think of this guy's name mm. in just a minute. Man, I tell you, getting old is not for sissies, Duke. <laughs> it's I'll not. I,
2: I'm, already, I'm already experiencing
1: that. Oh, man. It doesn't get any better, I promise you. But anyway, okay, we go up to Princeton, Indiana. First time I'd ever been there. That's 38 years ago, if you can imagine that, Duke. Uh, and here's this kid. And if I got the story right, it, or you correct me, I believe you weren't driving yet, and your sister drove you to the hunt. Correct. Is that right? And she yes, was correct. involved with horses, right? Wouldn't she? Correct. All right. Tell me a, a little bit about that I- experience.
2: Well, I, I, I took that dog to a qualifier, and it was actually a snowstorm. And he won that qualifier the snowstorm. Mm-hmm. And I was so set to take that dog to that world hunt. But my mom and dad both worked. My dad always worked two jobs. Um, and it was just, we couldn't figure out a way to get me there because it was, you know, I mean, you're talking 950 miles. Yeah. And uh, finally, my sister said, Well, I can get a little, see, my sister's older than me, four years. So my sister said, we, we we can go. I'll I'll take out Because somebody was supposed to go, and then they backed out. So last minute, my sister fell forward and said, I'll take you." Mm-hmm. So we loaded up in the truck. and We went to Princeton, Indiana. <laughs>
1: That's pretty amazing. That was also the first year I met Richard Moore, who was okay. hunting the Rocky dog, the English dog at that time. Correct. Well, he might have been hunting something else. Yeah, because he hit more yeah. about,
2: eight, about 1987, 88. Yeah, yeah, 15, yeah.
1: But he was hunting. I remember him uh, being there at the hunt, him being people saying, that guy's from New York City. He lives yep. in Queens, New York, and he's a preacher. And here he was hunting an English dog. He was carrying the dog in a crate in the back seat of the car. So I remember that vividly. And Richard and I have been friends for many years, and uh, I re- have really enjoyed his friendship. But the other story there for me was this kid coming all the way from Connecticut. And how old were you then, Duke? I've been uh, 14. 14 years old, hunting your dog in the world hunt. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> mm. I said, this this kid is hardcore. He <laughs> he likes this game well do you have any memories at all from that hunt or or do you have- well
2: i got i got you know the, the odd part was is i didn't of course growing up as a kid i'd read the magazines you know back in the day for me my heroes were russ or wayne green of course merchant you know and i read about all these guys but i got beat at that world hunt by the dog that won
1: the world. I see, Hillbilly Mac. Hillbilly Mac. Yep. I'll be darned. Well, you were in there. They knew. Did they know you were there? Did you make a pretty good showing against him?
2: Well, I tell you, the cast, um, the cast. When I got beat, uh, my dog looked good, but mm-hmm. now Hillbilly Mac was tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's that was the first dog. And I ain't saying the first, but that was the dog that I remembered being that he didn't say a lot of the ground he was right. just getting trained
1: yep mm-hmm.
2: but every tree went to, we had to come
1: yeah yeah and i think on the the final cast there it was that had kind of a uh, all-star cast there of dogs on that final four and mac won it and uh i i remember wayne green was hunting a dog on there named jar and and uh the Magnum Mike dog, uh, Yates, I believe was a guy that was hunting him, and I think maybe the striker dog may have been in that cast. But you at know, any rate funny. Yeah.
2: It's funny because of course thirty eight years ago and I I'm not but the man handle the dog was John Henneman. Right. Well, you know it was funny because not that many years ago maybe 20 now 18 years old i drew him again Mm -hmm. i was out of nowhere and he a really very nice fella and we were just chatting that night and he said you know he said i remember drawing you way back when we were just a kid i said you remember that he said yeah he said when you won the world hunt after that he said i told people that you know, he told other
1: people, he said, this young man is a hardcore hunter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Well, that's definitely a, a good uh, analysis there by John. John was always a fellow of few words, and I, I imagine he's still that way. I haven't spoken to him in several years, but it's good to see that he's still hunting. I see his name, his picture yep. in the magazine and online and stuff from time to time. Well, you kind of mentioned it there, and uh, uh, it's going to be like nine years at, from that Princeton hunt to you go up to Defiance, Ohio, hunting a dog called Tricolor Tom-Tom. Now, what kind of transpired between that initial hunt and your, uh, your experience there with Tom-Tom?
2: Well, um, I just knew I had a dog that was that was going to win. Um, he went from nothing to grand night, like just in one one season. And uh, I just I don't know. I had that. I had a friend with me, and uh, the dog. Uh, he was a, a real quick strike dog. Uh, probably the best track dog I ever owned in my life to date. Mm-hmm. The dog could absolutely fly on the ground.
0: What was with he no out of, dog?
2: He was out of Yakima River Tonton.
1: Right, right.
2: Yep. See,
0: growing up, Steve, you
2: know, uh I couldn't afford to go buy. even then, what was I, like twenty two? I couldn't afford to go buy no big dollar dog. And but back then we had coons. I had as good a hunting as Ohio would ever dream of having here. Mhm. The rabies hit ninety three of the year one the world hunt. And that's when our hunt went south.
0: Mhm. Pride, prior to
2: 93, all them hide hunters had quit hunting because coons didn't bring no money. right? So our coon population was just unbelievable. So I could train pups like it was there was nothing there. And that summer with Tom, that whole year, we knew the rabies was coming because it was on the west side of the river. So I'll be honest with you, that summer, that spring, that fall, spring, and coming into that fall of the world hunt, September, I believe we shot every coon at Doggy Retreat because we knew Mm -hmm. all the coons were going to die. Right. And I mean, the dog got hunted literally every night for almost a year. Because if I didn't hunt him, one of my buddies would hunt him. The dog got hunted. The dog was a very big dog. You remember that? He was a smaller dog, 45-pound dog. Yeah. But the dog was a machine. He really was.
1: How old was he when he won the World Hunt, Duke? Two, two and a half. Yeah. I remember he he was young for sure. When did you come up with the tricolor kennel name?
2: My mom and dad came up with that.
1: I see. Yeah. So
2: they called that kennel when I was just a boy.
1: I got you. I got you. So he was out of Tom Tom. And do you remember the female he was out of? Uh,
2: the, the, the females, her name was Lightfoot Lila, but she went back to some bozo breeding.
1: Oh, yeah. On the bottom side. Hardwood Bozo, yep. and a lot of the good ones down through the years have come out. Uh, if you trace them back, you're going to find Old Bozo there.
2: Right. Well, I believe that what happened. I think she placed in in a world hunt, um, and I believe Randall Myers had bought her to breed to, to Tom.
1: I see. And now, did you get uh, your Tom Tom from Randall as a puppy, or
2: no? I didn't. I bought him as a started dog. From a gentleman named bart schneider up in northern indiana that's where i bought the dog as i just started dog course back then i didn't you know I, I watched all the paperwork on dogs you know of course then it was you know pac-man and striker and jackie River tom tom and and i'd seen tom had placed uh, you know in the world hunt twice and right. uh and i just you know i had an old Grand like dog that my dad had purchased, and I carried him some larger hunts, hunting against Hardwood, Dan, this and that, but I just knew he didn't quite have enough to compete with uh, the the dogs that were winning. So I bought him as a young dog and um, had him shipped in, and I just went to hunt him after that. That's how I got Tom Tom.
1: I see, and you knew pretty soon then that you had a potential winner there?
2: Well, to to, to make a, a short story funny, Back then, you know, see if you could have dogs shipped in. You know, they flew them in. Oh, yeah. So I buy this dog, and I fly him in. An old buddy of mine who's retired game warden, we took a ride up to the airport and got him. And we literally looked in this crate, and there was this dog in the back of this crate staring at us like he was going to faint. And he looked so scared. and we thought it was on the airplane ride. Well, come to find out, it wasn't. He was had been abused. Oh, so, I get him home, and literally, we had to put the crate in the kennel, open the door. The dog never came out of the crate for a whole day.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: So, what are you going to do? You own it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, we was in that kennel, and my dad said, well, what would you buy there? I said, I don't know, Dad. do not look good. I know that. And uh, he was shy. You couldn't touch him. I mean, he'd cower down. And I'm, Well, about three or four nights, I was still taking that old Grand dog hunting, you know? Well, one night I went out there to get him out of the kennel, and old Tom was standing on that wire like he was ready to go. Mm -hmm. So I opened the door, put a track collar on him. Of course, that's bad. We had to do a wildlife, you know, beep, beep collars.
0: Yeah.
2: Loaded old Ike in the truck. That was my dad's old grandnight dog, and I loaded Tom in the truck. And I went over here, a farm close by my house, and turned loose. Tom, old Ike went in, struck a little track, bang, tree. Nothing out of that pup. About that time, I heard this pup strike way in the back of this cornfield. Cornfield, and I like Indiana, Ohio cornfields, but here a big cornfields, you know, 15, 18 acres. Right. He strikes in the back of this cornfield and he's running this track up right through the middle of corn, came right by me. I mean, within 20 yards of me. Went right up to the fence line up where my truck was parked and fell tree. Went up there with no fancy hard tree dog. Went up there, he's got a coon. Well, I tie him up. I go back, get the old granite dog, put him in the truck and go back. Pet him up good, and I shot that coon out. So, well, from that night on, I went to hunting that dog, and every night now during the day he'd hide in the dog box all day. Nights, I was get dark, he'd be on that wire. Wanted to go hunt.
1: Well, be darned. Did he uh, continue that his whole life, or did he finally get? Over he was it? always a little
2: funny around strangers. People would even know when they'd come. Like if we, you know, if my mom and dad would always take him to the, to large, you know, large events, Grand American and whatnot. And uh, he was always a little funny, and he would never breed a female without me or my dad there.
1: I see. Yeah.
2: he That was just him.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. They all have personalities. Don't yeah. They? Yep. Okay. Well, so then you qualified him, and did we have the zone hunts at that time? or we, Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah, we had the
2: zone okay. hunts then. Yep.
1: So yeah, how, how did ones. that kind of go? Do you have any memories from that uh, <laughs> you know, world hunt? You,
2: in your article when I won the world hunt, I believe, I could be wrong by a few numbers, but I think you said he scored 3,275-plus points and hmm. zero, zero minus points in the world hunt.
1: Wow. Well, now, was so that from the taking zones, the zones through yeah, so the, the
2: zones, that was That was from the qualifier. Right through the zones, right through the finals. Wow,
1: I know I have that magazine. Some, uh, you know, I I tried to keep the magazines that I wrote articles in over the years, and uh, yeah. kind of got that stuff stored away. And I, it really just needs to be dumped, <laughs> you know. But
2: my, my mom's my mom has kept a few of them ones that I won that had the articles, and she has them like uh like vanilla envelope sealed.
1: Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, so that was in Defiance, Ohio. Yep. Up in the northwest part when of course those coon are are plentiful up there. Uh, right. Always have been. So you've got a world champion. How did that change your life at all? Well,
2: um, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, starting competition with your parents and, 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 and as you get up into your twenties, um It was basically, at that time, it was that dream came true.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, there's guys like me that have been at this for a long time, you know, a long time and never won a world hunt, never really, you know, aspired to win a world hunt. But I think every coon hunter, uh, and that was simply because of the nature of my work. You know, I I knew I wasn't going to be out there gunning for it, but. I think every coon hunter secretly would, would like to say, I you know, I can get my picture on the cover of that magazine that's a world champion. You know, well Lieutenant.
2: you know, you know what the biggest problem is with uh, not a problem, but the biggest thing with uh, in anything you do, I don't care if it's coon hunting, horses, bass fishing, whatever you do, um it's it's the sacrifice that you want to put into it. Right. You know, it's the, people say, "Oh, that's neat." You want a world hunt, and just like my wife, what she does with the horses, my daughter. Oh, you, you guys are so lucky. Well, it's not luck. <laughs> no. uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a lifestyle.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's Jerry Maul that quoted. I guess it was Vince Lombardi, but the will to win's not re- nearly as important as the will to prepare to win. You know.
2: Correct. Well, and- I tell everybody to win a world championship or a major event or or to get yourself on top, whether it be coon dogs, race cars, bass fishing, getting on top is difficult. Staying on top is hard.
1: Hmm. Yeah. You know, in fact, things are moving so fast now, Duke, that I can't keep up with it. You know, I I had a podcast before that we tried to keep uh, some competition news coming. You know, and it was already old news. But the time I could record it and 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 drop it into a podcast format and have it on the air within a week, you know, it's old news. It's been around the internet (laughs) several times, and uh, things are just moving so fast. But back in that day, we were still all about the magazines. That's right. Getting your you waited for that to come. Yeah.
2: Wait for that book to come. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I can remember as a kid, you know, in my experience, waiting for the October issue of American Cooner because right. that was the world championship. The ACHA world champion appeared right. on the cover, you know, and, right. the, and the score, uh, not the scorecard, but they posted uh, the, each night of hunting and each dog's score. I think right. it was Floyd Butler, the secretary of ACHA, that did those, wrote out those handwritten, uh, the dogs' names and their scores. And that was our news. You know, that's right. the way we got it back then. And then that was usually 30 days or so after the fact, you know, unless well, you, you were.
2: Won, if you knew who won the world hunt that week, you you knew something.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Okay, well. When I went to UKC in 1983, uh, I was privileged to go out to Gray Summit, Missouri, to, the, to my personal first Purina Award banquet. And there was a guy named Lewis, uh, uh, Jennings Lewis that won the first Purina Award with a dog called Rebel. And then the next fall, a guy named... David Blankenship and his partner Harvey French won the Purina race with a dog called uh, Rock River Banjo. And I was so impressed with the Purina people and with going through the Purina uh, farms and all of that. I mean, it made a lasting impression on me because I said, if these people are putting this much Money and effort into research and and development. They, they have to be building a good product, uh, or they're wasting a lot of money.
2: Well, I'll be honest with you, Steve. My parents always fed a feed, okay. So I just grew into feeding a feed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But
2: after going to that farm for the first time, yeah, and uh, there was a woman in, and I don't remember her last name, or I remember her first name was Mary. I had missed some of the She was tour. a
1: doctor. She was a PhD. She was one of the very nice Fuller, very nice. Fuller I believe. Mar-
2: yes. Well, she took me on a personal tour around the farm because I'd missed some of it. And I was so impressed with Perina. And still to this day, and, and I don't knock no other kind of brand of dog food, but still to this day, I feed Perina.
1: Yeah. And I do too. Dude. and and again, it's not you know about you know Purina not paying me to say that or you, but uh it is impressive well, okay, so that's how you know, and for many years, I worked very closely with the folks at Purina in in that Purina competition. you mentioned hardwood Dan a while ago, yep. you know a dog that won it twice back in the day i I had to to believe that that Purina race was the toughest thing in coon hunting to win, uh, and and from that, the reason I say that is, you know, the thing went on for all year, and you had if you got in the race, you had to be there if it was five hundred miles or a thousand miles or whatever, you know, you had to be out there running the thing, so. Our listeners should know that in 1996, you won the Purina competition with a black and tan female named Crow Hill Candy. And sure. uh, she was owned by Leon Richard, I believe.
0: Yep. Yes.
1: Tell tell me about Candy and about that Purina race and about, about how that was back in
2: 1996. Well, how it all came about, uh, apart is I never really knew Leon Richards. Um, uh, and he lived north of me about three hours, maybe four. And when I went to World Hunt with Tom, he had called and grat- congratulated me. And I know we got small talking. And then, of course, he had snow on the ground and I didn't, I said, Well, geez, come down. You know, I'll take you hunt anytime you like. So he came down one night and went hunting. I said, and I asked him, I so said, Where's your dog? Oh, I didn't bring a dog. I was just going to go with you, whatever. I said, Well, okay. Well, a few other times he came and finally he brought this black and tan. And uh, I knew of some of the bloodline that she was out of uh went back to Johnny and Bruce Gillum stuff
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um and another gentleman that was uh, north of us, Chris Blue. Right. And, uh, and I knew they were pretty good, you know, they were a good line of dog. Well, I went home this dog a little bit. She was kennel stale. I hadn't had her out since December. And uh, man, I started seeing this dog do some good work. They would mm-hmm. come down about a dozen times. I was going to say that's a nice dog. Kind of tight on the ground, didn't say a lot, just fell free and accurate. Mm-hmm. And uh how I really got hooked up with him is they were going to black and tan days in May. And I said, hey, good luck. And I didn't have a dog to hunt. I, at that time, I really—I just had a young dog out of my dad's white dog, I was telling you about, that um, I just wanted, I had walk a days with him. But he was young. He was like 14 months old. And I didn't want to push him hard in hunts. So they said they were going to black and tan days. And I said, well, good luck. You know, they said, well, we're not going to hunt it. We're just going. And I said, well, why aren't you going
0: to hunt that dog
2: in it? Oh, we don't know if she could win it. And, you know, we don't know if she, she could compete. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go with you. I'll handle
0: her. <laughs> so we went.
2: And I got first place registered one night, and I got second place registered the next night with her. And how I really got beat out in the black and the high-scoring dog is uh, Russ Beller had won it one night with Saigon. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got hooked up with them guys with that dog.
1: I got you. Well, and uh, so then – did you go, was that the year uh, that you No, can- it, was the,
2: it, was the, it was that year. Um, that year, that was 95. Okay, yeah. And they took her to a qualifier and got her qualified. And then they weren't going to take her to the World Hunt. Well, I didn't have a dog to take so I took to the UKC World, and I think it was in uh, South Boston, Virginia that year.
1: Yeah, is that the year that uh, Buck 2 Dog won it? No,
2: and I ended up getting fifth fifth place with her.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: and that's where her and I started our uh, competition. Ever after, that was after that, huh?
0: I
1: got you. So then you did a lot of traveling.
2: So yeah, they they we got talking, and again, you know, Tom's pups weren't really that old at that time. You know what I mean? And and so him and I, I had a nice young dog. Tom, he got killed by a car. And I didn't have nothing, and we got talking, and I said, hey, this dog can win anything, a walker dog can win. I promise you she can. She's as good a dog as I'd seen in any color. And so they said they wanted to run that printer race, and I explained to them. I said, it's very expensive. We're going to be on the road. They said, let's travel. So the way we went.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome.
2: But that was the year they extended on us.
1: Well, that year, did you end up going to Texas for the award?
2: Yeah, but that year, Steve, was the year that the premier race didn't run from October to October. It ran from October through October to January.
1: Okay. That was the only
2: time it was, the season was ever extended.
1: All right. I uh, left UKC in June of 98. And because I remember it was June because the first PKC hunt that I worked was the national championship in Flora, Illinois, and that was in June. But the last couple of years that I was with UKC, I was taken out of the field operations department and named the uh, senior vice president for uh public relations and legislative affairs, which meant that I worked mostly with the legislative stuff. So I really wasn't involved then with that change. And that I, I guess I didn't even remember that that occurred at that yep. time. But, uh, yeah, well, so you anyway. Were there, yeah. You were
2: there because you were at the World Hunt when she got sick. That's when um, the Mac dog beat me. Of, okay, um, that was
1: in 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 Iowa. Yeah, yep. that was in '96
2: also. Right, '95 so she got fifth place in world hunt. '96 she got second place.
1: That's right. She was in that final four. I remember yeah. that now for sure. Well, okay, you kind of described her already. I think that she was uh You said she didn't open a lot on the ground, but she was a coon treer and yeah, yeah,
2: always by herself, real independent.
1: Yeah, Did, was she bred at all?
2: They did and, and she threw a couple of dogs that were decent, but she never threw her. I got you. Of course I didn't chase that, uh, Steve. I I you know I went back to my roots with the dogs I had, you know Sure.
1: What I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew it was it was everybody in the sport was talking about, you know, what's Duke doing running this black dog, you know. Mm-hmm. But they they they
2: did until they drew her. Then they knew why.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, you weren't done yet as far as UKC is concerned. And I want to ask you about the other registries and all, but since we're on UKC, we might as well jump up uh, the next year after you won the Purina race with Candy. You go down to Boaz, Alabama. Now, I remember working with the people down there at Boaz and setting that hunt up, okay? But I was not there at that hunt. Uh, that was part of what I just talked about, my transition into a different area. But uh, where did you hook up with uh, uh, this ja- uh, Rocky Mountain Jasper dog?
2: Well, Lynn Bashuka out of New York, he had bred his uh, his female. Or his Actually, it was a female. He bred out of his dog. Uh, one of his college buddies had her, and they bred her a ton. So they had the litter her pups that was jasper and it was there was a there was four or five good pups in that litter all on the same cross and well how it happened was they took the dog uh, lynn and his buddy um they took the dog to the zones and i think they were in uh i think the zones that year were in uh, Holmesville, ohio
0: Okay.
2: all well, the time i was hunting a dog for a man out of oklahoma called Lou's foggy night rj and mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I ended up winning the premier Ridge with him in 97, that same year. Well, I went to the zones about an hour to the cast. We had to call a timeout and I'll forget this. We called the time cause it was a issue with landowners and whatnot. Well, the hour got, and I got scratched. So of course, you know, once you scratch, you can't even hunt the next night. Right. So they'd won two rounds with that Jasper dog. He was still a registered dog. He wasn't even a night champion. So in saying that, Lynn's a good fella. still a great guy. And uh, we got talking and Lynn said, you know, hey, this kid that was hunting the dog f- with him, he said he can't even go to the finals at Oral Hunt. He said, there any way we could talk you into taking this dog?
0: I said, yeah, I'll take him.
2: So I had another female at the time called Samantha. It was out of Tom that made it through, so we were going anyways. And I was going to let this other fellow hunt Samantha. So I took I I only hunted the dog three nights before I ever won the world home.
1: (laughs) You didn't use that old method, uh, strike the first dog to bark and tree the first dog at trees, did you?
2: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what happens, Steve, is in all honesty, the first night I ever turned him loose, he sounded and acted just like Tom. Mm-hmm. It was like Clinton Tom. and I'll be honest, not not gonna go. He probably wasn't as fast a track dog as Tom, but he sounded identical to him. So that? I knew then I was gonna have no problem handling <laughs> this dog at the world hunt. I mean, he sounded just like Tom, and he was a he liked to be by himself. You know, he was pretty much alone.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Matter of fact, in that final cast, I don't think him and Box ever treed together.
1: I'll be darned. Now, was Martin Spears involved with that dog?
2: Yeah, yep. Martin yeah. Was, was hunting them, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I believe him. Okay. I'm trying to think of the man's name. I know you know it. Uh, I think his last name was Pruitt. He was a Red bone man. He guided us in the final cast.
1: And that was in, in uh, Alabama. In Boas. Yeah. Yep.
2: Mm. I think his last name was Pruitt. Lyndon Pruitt, maybe?
1: Uh, yeah, that sounds right, Duke.
2: And I'll tell you, that was the best hunting I'd ever been in. And that that is that hunt is rough.
1: Oh yeah, it. it's hilly, isn't it?
2: But when that man brought us into that big bottom, that was the prettiest hunting. I there was coons everywhere. I right know. Mm. I mean, that was a real place to hunt a final cast. You know, everybody was dreading every cast was tough. You know what I mean? I mean, it was just a that was a tough hunt. Uh, matter of fact, I had one round, um, the round before the final. Uh, Jim Ridge's dog I hit uh, in a uh, hit on a road and killed. In that mm. cast. Mm. Yeah. yeah so that, that hunt yeah. down there with Boaz was tough.
1: Yep. And that that was the first one I, I didn't get to attend since way okay. back in 1983.
2: It was funny because the female that I took down there, she didn't, we only had a two-dog final because the other cast had never treated coons. Mm-hmm. And, she, and my female was one of them. Yeah. They didn't try to get in that final, you know, that cast was a dead cast.
1: Wow. Well, so in the period of four years, you know, you win a world championship in 93, you win the Purina race in 96, and then you come back and win the world hunt again in 97. Uh, did, about that time, did you start hunting pkc more or how did that come about
2: it was i'll tell you honestly steve uh after of course when i was hunting snap or i called the snap candy and in, in right. race that year i put one hundred and sixty-five thousand miles on my truck mm. yeah. in, in 15 months and so uh you know then went the world hunt with jasper i uh, actually for we the world hunt with jasper uh the man who owned rj was call me to handle him in this Purina race. And I said, man, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm burnt out. I'm done. And then about June, he called me, talked me into it. And I jumped in the race in June and, and won it by the end of the year with
0: RJ.
1: So you so, won and, the Purina race again.
2: Yeah, I won it. I won it 96 and 97 with two different dogs.
1: Okay. That's one thing I missed in my in my notes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And one with an inbred dog. Can you imagine come that? Come on now. <laughs> yes, sir. He was out of a mistake out of Texas. Um, the, you know, both dogs were lipper-bred dogs. It was a brother-sister cross. Mm-hmm. And he was a big old houndy-looking lipper dog. Smart, didn't say a lot on the ground. Just couldn't believe he was inbred. So this dog, his name was RJ. His name was Lou's Foggy Night RJ. He came out of Oklahoma. And um, yeah, he was out of a brother-sister cross. It was an accident. And uh, I acquired a dog through a gentleman that wanted me to handle a dog for him in the hunts. And uh, he wanted me to, oh, back when it first started, and I just said, no, I'm not interested. I'm just tired. I've been traveling for 15 months and I was burnt out. Well, then he talked me into it in June. Of course, we jumped in the race in June. That's when Randy Leonard was hunting a blue dog for Brent Blitzkamp. And um, uh, what's the gentleman out there? Oh, boy, I'm bad with name Steve. Getting old. Um, Joe Rember. Oh, hunting yeah, hunting in
1: Paris, Texas. Yeah, he
2: was hunting the blue dog yeah. in a the race. There was there was about three blue dogs in a race at that time, and then there was uh, Dick Brothers hunting that Sarah female. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, i fortunate, blessed, I don't know what you want to call it, but I jumped in a race with RJ, and uh, he was just a consistent coon tree. It was nothing real fancy, just getting in there by himself to have a coon tree. And that was the same year I won the centennial that UKC held, the 100th anniversary up in Michigan right i won that with him
1: yep that was in all in 97 that was it? all in
2: 97 yeah
1: yeah i use i kind of i didn't have an argument but i didn't understand his rationale with uh fred miller when uh, i was with ukc uh, ukc was founded in 1898 Yep. And so Fred wanted to have the centennial celebration in, in 1997. He said that's a okay. 100th year, you know. And I said, yep. well, typically 1898 to 1998 would be your centennial celebration. But he was the guy that signed the checks. <laughs> so right. he won that <laughs> argument. And that was when they did have the centennial there at the fairgrounds in Kalamazoo. Right. Uh, yeah, for sure.
2: Yep, yeah. And so then when I won to race with him, moving on forward to me, going to another kennel club, I didn't really just go to, I still hunted UKC Hunts. So I just, I don't know, PKC was just growing leaps and bounds at that time. Yeah. And I, of course I was interested in winning money, you know? I mean, uh, and at that time I'd, I'd wanted a business for myself and I just, I was pretty much kind of done with the travel uh just you know i still traveled hard but just not every week and i just i was i was burnt out
1: well it's certainly under, understandable for sure and the lure of pkc got me too, it because it was in 1998 that i went to work for them so uh yeah so you and
2: i for... made the tran- transition around the same
1: time <laughs> right about the same time yep. okay um I'm going to jump over this one here that we kind of said we're going to talk about your breeding program down through the years. You had a pretty good female that show is showing up on an awful lot of pedigrees uh, of hounds today, and uh, I've had a couple myself. I've got a, a puppy here now that's out of Trackman semen and a female that was out of Bone Collector, and Randy Smith's Biffy Sue female that won the World Hunt in uh, 2016. But that was this female you had named Stylish Nowheres. Now, that right. is an unusual name for a female. How would you come up with that name? I bought it that way. Oh, did you?
2: Okay. Yep. I, uh, at the time, I was hunting um, Stylish Harry Jr., when, when Nowhere come about for uh, Stuart Blankenship. And uh, Harry was a nice dog. I did some winning with him. Um, and a couple of fellas, uh, Nick Brady, you know Nick. Oh, yeah, uh, West Virginia Turner, boy. Uh, two or three of these guys had called me and told me about this Nowhere's dog in Ohio. I said, of course, you know, I was running wild, working every day and trying to coon on, you know, just trying to keep up with life. And I said, hey, if she's that good, we'll just buy her. Well, I got a hold of this gentleman and uh his name was Steve Kahn, nice guy. Well apparently he had just purchased her from somebody else. Through a couple hands there pretty quick. Told me about her, he said what he wanted for, her. I said, well, I'll just buy her. So I I sent the money to Eric Fisher, and Eric went and picked her up. And that's how I ended up getting her. Of course they would tell me she was a superstar, um, but I guess uh how Nick and Eric explained her she was just a diamond in a rough. Because she was only mm-hmm. about 14 months old when I bought her.
0: Okay.
2: And uh, so that fall, uh, I let Eric hone her for a little bit. You know, he got her like September. So that fall, I went out I went to Eric and got her, brought her back home. And uh, she was in a little rough shape. Uh, we needed some TLC. And that's when her and I, uh, that's when we started that journey of, I've never been a pup trainer, Steve. I'll be honest with you. I don't like training puppies. But you give me something that started, and I'll make them something. You know that that's 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 what I do.
1: Well, apparently you did with her. Tell us about some of her accomplishments and what you do with her. And well, then know, when every, you ultimately decided to breed her.
2: Well, everybody uh, in today's world, because uh, nowhere is is her her legacy is is sliding away. But everybody always everybody claims her to be this great reproducer and she was but I thought she was a better coon dog than even a reproducer Mm -hmm. Um, that one year because you know where I live um, I won about $4,400, $4,500 that year just in open events with her traveling every event I went to I'd be in a final four and that's back when we had 150, 160 dogs in an event and she was one of them dogs, if uh when the coons were moving right, she would literally annihilate a cast. Um, always by herself. She was quick, she didn't say hardly anything on the ground, explosive tree dog, had a big mouth, she was loud. Um, and but her one hole, how I'd get beat, she couldn't take a thunderstorm.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: And that's how I lost not that Tizzy Dog, when she won the Super Stakes, didn't do a great job that night, but that's how she, she walked into it because nowhere quit. We had a, almost a tornado come through. As a matter of fact, I remember Larry Meeks calling people and saying, hey, if you can get your hands on them dogs, call time out. The tornado came through. And the storm was so bad, the 15 got me and I got scratched.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: And that yeah. was what she couldn't handle.
1: Yeah. Well, now, did you own her when she was bred to Homer?
2: Yeah, everything I bred. Her, the first time I bred nowhere, I bred her to, to schooner of Fred.
1: Okay.
2: And but she only had two pups, and I had one, and uh, I kept him for quite a few years. I sold him as he got older. I called him Tough, and he was a grand knight.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then I he had you know, another one called they called Fred. Doug Compton had, and uh, he got blasted yeah. and died at a young age. Mm-hmm. So, I was going to read back to Fred. And you know, one night I, I drew Homer. With Dale Bone haunting him, mm-hmm. and he was loud. Of course, you know he was inbred. Um, yeah, yeah. You loud. know
1: the quick, quickly. Well, since we yep. talked about inbreeding, it was where uh, f- uh,
2: Fred bred his mama. Fred uh, Bre- Queen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Raccoon Valley Queen, and that's what produced Homer. And here he was. This like, well, Fred was was very young only like 11 months old or something when that happened yeah
2: correct yeah that's when uh is alan
1: smith well uh tennessee Tennessee, al um fellow was uh 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 the um minister that had raccoon valley queen wasn't he um well, I remember. I can. I, I can't remember his name. his name. Real flamboyant guy. He'll probably laugh. I, at I me can remember his that. face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Me too. It'll That's another thing. I'll have to put a prologue onto this thing. Here's all the things that, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. came to me after we after we stopped recording. But uh, you know, it's funny because it, uh,
2: Homer Homer was uh, a real stylish, on-the-word explosive. Oh yeah. yeah. But you know what? what impressed me the most. Is we went into one tree, and my dog was and I was went into one tree, and there was a dog about hanging off that dog's neck, and he would not fight. Mm. Yeah. And, and and to me, that was the most impressive thing. Because Homer himself, you know, one night he looked unbelievable, unbeatable, and the next night he didn't look that good. You know, he was kind of wishy-washy, mm-hmm. well, wasn't mm-hmm. very consistent, mm-hmm. um, but he had that. He had that mouth and that look and that drive. You know, you do just, he had, there was something special about him. So at the time, Keith Medley,
0: oh, about a year old or
2: so, Keith bought him. Right. And uh, I drew Keith at um, Spring Classic, nowhere. And I forget what dog he was hunting. And nowhere put her on a clinic that night. She looked good. And Keith, Keith Medley, I think this day I'll still tell people it, it was the worst he ever got beaten a cast in his life. Because I like Keith. You know him. He's oh, yeah. He,
1: he was recently <laughs> on a podcast with oh, was really? uh, Tyler Duncan down in, uh, yeah, the well, uh, i tell you University. what I loved
2: about him. You never had to guess what he was thinking. He told you. <laughs>
1: That's for sure. And uh, so That's I said to him, I said, hey. sure. I said,
2: hey, I said, well, I do no, where it comes back in heat. I'm coming down to breed the homer. He said, oh, yeah. You know, he, and he didn't believe me. He really didn't.
0: Well, she came in the heat.
2: I call him. I said, hey. I said, I'll be at your house next Thursday night at midnight and breed this dog. He's said, what dog? I said, nowhere. old Keith, he said, You're serious. I said, I'm dead serious. Well, midnight I pulled in his driveway, tooting the horn. We bred her home and up the road I went. <laughs> but you know, I bred her Homer twice, you know, right in a row. Okay. Because the first time she only had three three pups and they were all males. You know, me, I'm not a male dog guy.
1: Right. And it was strange,
2: she came back, instead of being in six months, she came back in four months. Mm-hmm. So I went back and bred to him again. Again, I only had three pups, but this time I had two males and a female. Okay.
1: That was your keeper then?
2: I kept her, we called her baby, yep. Yeah. matter of fact, she just, she just died about a year and a half ago.
1: Let, let's stop right here and give a shout out to your mother is there anybody in the world that can do a better job raising puppies than her
0: not that i know i'll be honest <laughs> uh, my mom
2: and dad just uh, and and you know, Steve, see they love it i mean they yeah. love it. i have i have a litter here right now uh they're about 10 days old and they're actually upset that they're not up there at their place which they only live i mean they only live <laughs> a quarter mile up the road if that yeah. you know what i mean yeah. but uh just my females used to be in here so i'm raising the pups here but yeah i mean nobody <laughs> that can raise pups well we'll like give I your dad
1: credit too but i know your mother's always the one out there tending them at the at autumn Oaks or whatever and yeah, it's just it's, yeah you know what it is
2: um because my dad he's down at the farm getting local milk giving these pups fresh raw milk um and you know you know my mom will clean out them horse stalls and have them pine shavings and just and you know I bring them pups them hunts, and people can't believe they're only 9 weeks old they <laughs> look like they're 10 12 <laughs> weeks old you know they're big
1: yeah oh yeah. yeah
2: but they let them out every day and have exercise and they you know that's just how they grow it's just unbelievable how they can raise puppies it's, it is
1: well yeah and they they're such great folks well okay so um we got nowhere, and where was the uh, decision? Uh, well, okay, where did where did uh, Bone Collector come from? Which one of these litters?
2: Bones bon are uh, the first litter. Okay, and what happened was Ryan Croson and I decided you know we were going to raise these pups, and I so I gave Doug Compton one. All right, so Ryan Croson had one. Doug Compton had one. Well, me and Ryan had. I kept him here, um, and then a guy named Fred Gearing up in New yep. York had one. Yep, the whole litter turned out okay. But now Bone was a kind of a ball mouth tree dog,
0: right?
2: Um, and we had a boy in Oklahoma named Richard Hull hunting him. And what happened was the original—I don't say original, whatever—but Doug Compton's dog got hit by a car and killed. Well, Doug called me up and he was upset, which. You know, rightly so. So I said, I'll tell you what I'll do, Doug. I said, You can have bone. My half. You just buy out Ryan's half. Ryan ain't a male dog. You know Ryan, he hunts all females. I hunt females. He was kind of a ball mouth tree dog. I didn't like that. Uh, not mm-hmm. knocking the dog by any anyway, means, look at all the stuff he was a little But he just was not my style. Yeah. So Doug said, Well, I said, You can have my half. I don't care. You know, he, he'd give me, because he'd give me a pup that would have been younger um, sister to nowhere, which I called somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I felt obligated to, you know, help him. So that that's how Doug got the dog. The dog was about 14 or 15 months old when Doug got him.
1: I see. And, of course, the rest is history, as they say. Oh,
2: yeah. He just, I was you know, you couldn't be any more proud, you know, for something out of your stuff to do what they do. with oh, mother, yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Now, nowhere's been elected into a hall of fame, hasn't she? Yes. Yeah. And that yeah. which one? Which one is that?
2: She was in PKC
1: in the PKC.
2: Well, the problem is she never had enough puppies to go into UKC. Mm-hmm. I All was right. short by because she always had small litters.
1: Yeah, and that's just the difference, you know. You, you uh, well, no, combining I you. titles, I guess, to dollars, you know.
2: Well, I can tell you a quick story on her. Um, of course, my better cross, honestly, according to stats, was when I bred it to uh, Tequila Sunrise. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's the only litter, now I don't know about by now, but back when they inducted her into the PKC Hall of Fame, they said it was the only litter born in PKC registry that every pup in that litter had won money in PKC events. Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome did Ashley own sunrise at that time? Or? Yes, yeah. yes,
2: mm-hmm. yep, yep
1: Those are dogs that will live on in infamy, as they say, in the walker right. breed, for sure.
2: and I still have one of them dogs still alive, really. She's thirteen years old, she's still at my dad's place. <laughs> yep.
1: That's how old did nowhere? Uh, how old was she when she died? She was died? Just a little
2: over 12. She was a little uh-huh. over 12 when she died.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you still know. I want to talk about this Chili dog. Oh. Um, you were obviously pretty proud of that dog. And I want you to tell me about Chili and about what happened to him and just anything well, you can remember. Well, what happened was I...
2: Um, You know, of course, you know me. He was against all odds because he was a male. I don't like hunting male dogs. But I had a gentleman call me, and I met this young fellow, Ryan Hayes. He owned Chili's mother. And a, a real nice young man, super nice guy. And then his buddy, his name was Wes Gilroy. And Wes hunts blue dogs. Mm-hmm. But they were just, they're, they're farmer boys from Iowa. You just couldn't get no nicer guys. You're just the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Well, they would tell me about this these pups that this kid had, and they were like five and a half months old, and they they ran
0: a Well, they didn't want to sell none of them. Well, Chilly, he was probably the least talented out of them,
2: apparently. So I finally got talking, and got talking, and I don't know. At the time, I had a partner, a great guy, still friends with him. His name was Jason Eddins from South Carolina. And, but he always wanted a male dog. So I bought this pup. And Cody Sight picked him up for me and brought him right to Michigan. Because that's when Michigan season was just open. He left the uh, UKC World Hunt. And, you know, it was always the end of September. And brought the pup back to me. He was about five and a half months old. And they said he'd run a tree. Well, I didn't know. I never hunted with him. We carried him hunting that night, Brian. Remember Big Brian Gray?
1: Oh yeah, very well. That's who yeah. he and Eric Fairchild had uh, Fred when I hunted oh, with him in right. Michigan.
2: So Brian Gray and uh, Jeremy Kolick. Oh yeah, Shane Rose, Steve Burkholder. We all were playing hunting there that <laughs> week. Well, we had we, we had Chili, five and a half months old, just big old dopey long-eared pup. Um, they had their dogs. Well, the first turn loose, we turn these dogs, they're running in the cornfield. And all of a sudden, that pup just falls off and gets trained. We didn't know it was him. I mean, we just heard this dog start traying. Just, oh, 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 oh. We start laughing. When we go in there we weren't laughing. He had a coo. <laughs> well, it was season, They shot it out. And from there, well, uh, because everybody wanted to buy part of it, man, I said, no, he's going home with me. And, uh, I had a good friend. Um, he passed away of brain cancer. Um, his name was Daniel Snyder. Mm-hmm. And he lived in Brazil, Indiana. Well, I brought that pup home and hunted him a little bit. And I told Daniel, I said, Daniel, I need this pup hunted by himself. He's ready. And I dropped him off and he hunted him the whole Indiana coon season. And uh, he just, from there, it was just, it went on and on. And he was
1: out of what? He
2: was out of Bone Collector. And then his mother... Was out of uh, boy, an old chief. His mother was out of Night Rocket Broad,
0: okay, yeah,
2: and uh, which was Rat Attack, basically, you know. And uh, he just was one of them dogs, just uh, probably the only dog in my life, including Tom, nowhere, snap on. He never labored a day in his life trying to trick him, he just made it look easy, Mm -hmm. everything he did.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. I know you well, tell me about his what happened to his leg.
2: Well, what happened was uh, the first hunt I ever carried him to was automobile. He was only about fifteen, sixteen months old, and I won first place registered with him on. It was high scoring dog of I mean, I wasn't it went automobile, he wasn't a grand knight because he was registered, but I was high scoring dog of the hunt. hmm And I said, you know, he looked impressive. He treated I think he treated five coons. He made a slick and treated five coons by himself, six coons by himself. And he was only 15 months, 15 months old.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I was pretty proud of him. I took a couple PKC hunts, and I got his money going so I could go to the Super Stakes. Well, at the superstakes, that's when they had the Super Stakes and the World Hunt combined. You know, right. The, we stayed the for 10 two The 10-day
1: deal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll be honest with you, Steve, I hunted the dog at superstakes and never won a cast. Well, I was ready to go home. Well, my partner Tom Gilbert was with me, and uh, we were hunting a little female called Shine at the time. Also, who she was out of Hill Sunrise, and nowhere. He said, "Well, I don't want to go. I want to hunt the world hunt." I said, "All right, we'll stay." Well, I hunted Chili one night. The world hunt didn't do did no good, and I said, "Well, I'm done with him." You know, he's young. You know, he'd never been in many casts and everything. You know, those, you, you understand them dogs out there fast, quick. He was kind of blowing his mind. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And uh, not that he wasn't training the coons, he just he didn't have the experience. Well. Tom ends up getting shined in. On Thursday night, he says, hunt him again. I'll pay the entry. I said, ain't the money. He he said, hunt him again. Well, I got him in at the World Hunt. Mm -hmm. And he marched right through to the final cast. And he was only about, like I said, 17 months.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That just tells you that sometimes you just have to persevere, you know?
2: Well, I'll tell you, the most it was probably the most memorable cast I'd ever been on was the cast before the final cast of any dog ever. Hunted. I had, uh, Randy Morgan on that lace female. Mm-hmm. She was a good one. I had Robbie Stivers hunting jigs mm. and I had, uh, what's the boy's name? Uh, I know his name. He lives down by Scott England, a female called Miami Valley jigs. Uh, oh. Lewis. His last name is Lewis. Okay. Dang, I know that. Scott Lewis. Okay. well, we get in this final cast, and I had a girl guiding us out of Florida, Illinois. You might remember her. that girl. She always guided casts out of Florida.
1: Was it Sharon Jelly?
2: I wouldn't know her name. She had glasses, younger mm, girl. Um, oh, uh, I'm not sure. Well, anyway, she takes us to this place to hunt. goes in this big bottom, beautiful, beautiful place. Well, these dogs, tree coons all over me. When we come out of this, we, we call time after about an hour, and we're going to cross this big field to go to another section on it. I was going to withdraw because I'm sitting at zero, a couple of circle trees. These guys have got four or 500 plus. But I know I'm here. I'm going to turn loose. Well, we turn loose on this next bottom. And chili trees, five coons. And when, and wins the cast, I win the cast in the last <laughs> minute of the hunt. Randy Morgan had me beat by 50. Laces Lace is over here, struck. Jigs is over here. We haven't heard chili a minute left in the hunt, he falls tree. I strike a tree, I go in, I got a coon and beat him.
1: Wow. <laughs> Barn burner for sure. Right. And what yeah, year was
2: that? Jeez, you got to ask me of questions? 2012, maybe?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: I think it was two twelve Because that's the year that uh, um, it was me, Coy Sullivan, um, the Griffin boy. What was that dog's name that won that hunt? D-
1: Doug Griffin from Georgia? No, Bill. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That old dog, had went around a couple different hands, and he won that world hunt that year.
0: Right. Well, those, all those.
2: But then he got hit by a car.
0: Okay.
2: I I told everybody that he hunted so hard and fast and deep that he would get run over. Just, you knew it just the way he. He covered ground, and the dog just absolutely would just float through the world all time me turned him loose and I watched the car hit him. I tried to stop the car but he hit
1: him well now let me ask you this, of course that's that had to be a heartbreak for you, but just back to his uh, the way he operated um, it sounds like he was a dog that moved around good was Isn't he, he what like you around? call an amb- ambush type dog, or did would yeah, you he just, it? he yeah.
2: just he just popped him coons up hmm Yeah, that that was his style.
1: Yeah. Well yeah, you know go ahead, I'm sorry.
2: A big scoring dog. Uh mm-hmm. I, I mean two years in a row at spring classic I scored twelve hundred with him. And I scored uh eight or nine hundred with him down in Texas, down with the Lone Star mm-hmm. on, on three legs.
1: Yeah. It's amazing the heart that these dogs have. I've hunted with a few three leg dogs, you know, over the years. Yeah, and he
2: was, a, you know, for him to carry himself as fast as he could move. Uh, one night I drew Barry Kitty at the Royal Hunt, and I didn't win the cast, but Barry said he'd never seen a dog move through the country. like that, got three legs ever. <laughs> I mean, cutting across the field, he could keep up with them dogs on three legs.
1: Yeah. Now, did he lose a front or a back leg? A back leg. Yeah. Well, it's easier for him to steer, you know, and negotiate with a, with a back yeah. leg than it is. Yeah. Front leg. Yeah.
2: It was fortunate that it was a back because he was a big heavy-chested dog. Yeah. Because um, he was a big dog. He probably went 90 pounds. And uh, right. so if he was a front leg, he could never move like he moved.
1: Right. And you pretty much moved him inside after that, didn't you? Yeah, he was a house dog. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you would lay on the couch and take, carry him hunting and come home he'd go back sleep on the couch. <laughs> he, was never, he was never tied up after that. And, and like I said, a wild of a hunting dog he was. He'd never leave the yard. Well, he would every now We always kept a track car 24-7. Um,
0: yeah. Just at that time, I,
2: had, I put one of dog trees on him, and we'd set it up on an iPad in the house so we could see where it went. He'd only venture off every now but he'd he lay around like a yard dog, carry him hunting at night.
1: Oh, yeah. The heart of a dog, again, I say there, is is amazing. Well, well i sh- Yeah, go ahead.
2: All, all the dogs I owned in my life, um, and I've, I've been blessed with some great ones uh, and some great partners on these dogs. He's the smartest. He was my favorite, of every dog at all.
1: hmm That's that dog. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, I, I was very disappointed when the bone collector grandson that I have here, I still own him, but he, you know, proved to be a, a thyroid dog and has, uh, frankly, I mean, he was looked like the world was his oyster, and then he started to go backwards, and, you know, now he's just mediocre at best. But, you know, these dogs, uh, they get next to us, you know, and the older we get, uh, my experience is, the softer I get with my dogs, you oh, know.
2: Definitely, definitely, yeah. I promise you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, what are you doing now? I mean, as far as your hounds are concerned and all. Well, I'll say,
2: gas. Is what I'm doing now. I work every day. I'm getting fat and old. That's all I'm doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, i you know, this gas thing, of course, for anybody that travels like you do, man, oh, man. Do you, have you ever estimated the number of miles you've driven over the years? Because I don't know anybody that's driven any more than you have around the country.
2: If I would estimate in the 35, 40 years I've been doing this, I'll bet you I've traveled over four or 500 million miles, four or 5 million miles yeah. at least.
1: I don't doubt at that least. a bit. <laughs> I,
2: well, I just you. came back. I just came back from Kentucky. Yeah. I left, I left Wednesday morning, drove down to Kentucky, uh, J.R. Brady's and bred yeah. one of my grandnight females had a bone. See, I got a Grand Night like, head out of Bone and World Champion Lila.
1: Okay, yeah. And
2: I, and I just bred her to uh, J.R. Graves, but I'll be honest, if I drove down there. Did you
1: breed to Willie or to yeah, – uh, he to he's yeah. not breeding the Connor dog yet, I don't think, is he?
2: No, and I think I like the looks of that dog. That's a good-looking dog. I really did. He's a yeah. nice, square-built dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bred uh, I bred the Willie, and, uh, but, you know, you're saying that. It co- and, and I I have a big Duramax diesel. You know me. I got about six different trucks, but I run around that little Toyota all the time.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
2: it, it cost me $750 in gas to go from Connecticut to Kentucky and back.
1: Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Yeah. I was just trying to book a a bear hunt for this fall up in Maine. My buddy Nubbin Moore has never killed a bear over hounds, so. Uh, We're trying to get something together and and talking to the outfitter and the guide and all this, talking about the cost of gas. He figures, you know, at least $600 for a week is what he's going to have to spend. if you guys
2: travel, if you travel up here, you're going to be coming up 95. All right. To go to, to Maine, I'm sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: If you do, you better call my mom and dad and me because we're only 15 miles
1: <laughs> on Well, maybe we can stop by for a cup of coffee or something. We'll take
2: yeah. at least take you to dinner or some oh, we'll well, breakfast.
1: We'd it'd love be, to. It'd be great to see all of you for sure. Duke, out of all those years, all those miles, uh, any favorite memories or special hounds you've hunted with or that you remember most or any any favorite stories you could share
2: well i'll be honest and, th- and this sticks in my head in 1988 i went to autumn oaks and uh i believe that year was in ohio i think it was an old car oh carver, old carver probably yeah
0: yeah and i was
2: young you know and i had that old grand night dog and anyways i i hunted Friday night uh, on my cast and had no big score on Saturday night um, somebody from UKC asked me i saying "Way well, I judge a cast so I did I judged a grand night cast and I had I had Gary Davis with uh, Night Heat and I had uh, one of Bart Nation's love, Blue Chubs mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was a Walking I Kentucky and I and I drew Charlie Butler or I judged Charlie Butler Buck Creek Gracie, right and, and I still remember this. She was the only dog I ever hunted with in a cast like that. We, we treated in the ground a couple of times. And she treated, I think, three coons in a den. But the dog had first and first on every drop. Most impressive thing I've ever seen in a hunt. Mm-hmm. I never hunted with a dog, even to this day, that every drop the dog had first and first.
1: Amazing, yeah. Gracie was the dog that Charlie had stolen, and was oh, I well,
2: see. I didn't know that story. I, yeah. I ran into him at Oaks a few years back, you know, in chat, and wanted to talk with him. But yeah, that was the most impressive dog on uh, one night I'd ever seen go with her. And I've seen yeah. some, you know, over the years. If you can't remember, of course, you've seen some awesome dogs go. You know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. Uh, but she, sure.
2: you know, as a young fellow stepping into the competition world uh, in '88, I, you know, I, I still remember her to this day.
1: <laughs> well, when they make an impression on you like that, you don't forget it. That's for sure. Of yep. your personal dogs, what, what it, which has been your personal favorite down through the years? Well, been.
2: I can honestly say, you know, Tom Tom brought me into the competition world, uh, made me who I am or whatever you want to call it. Made me, you know, here's a kid out of Connecticut, won a world title, hunting against Russ Beller, you know, some of the greatest guys in the dog
0: history. You know, he made me. Um, and nowhere made me in PKC. Right. Yeah. And, um, and
2: as far as a breeder, I'm no breeder. Uh, I've been very successful, you know, picking what I breed to, but I wouldn't call myself a breeder. Um, but I'd say out of all the dogs I've owned and always hunted, Chili is my favorite.
0: Gotcha.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there'll Just always be like, that one that stands out and I, well,
2: I, he was a pet.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: you know, he would. Uh, if somebody would come on my house and he was in the house, if they would go in my daughter's room, you know, my daughter at the time was three or four years old. I mean, he would watch him, I and mean, he'd almost growl at him. Mm. And he would never show aggression ever. And one night I was, my daughter was asleep, and he was laying. He'd lay in front of her bed when she slept at night. Every night, that's where he lay. Well me and my wife was joking around the house or something and i kind of picked her up and just threw her on the couch playing you know she's got got laughing and screamed when well, he'd come out of that bedroom he was gonna eat me alive i mean just <laughs> seen it. and so then yeah. i felt i felt kind of good because at the time i wasn't hunting as much anymore and, and i just knew that my wife my daughter was safe in this house
1: with yeah. him mm-hmm. right yeah for sure well I would encourage anybody that can. I don't advocate that you bring a kennel full of dogs and turn them loose in your house and let them roam at will. But if you can, you've got that dog that you know he's going to adapt to that sort of thing and you really like him. If you start living with that dog, you'll find out so much about dogs that you never really knew. Do Do you agree with that?
2: Well, I can tell you, yes. And I can tell you something else. Everybody knows through the years, I've been known for big, wide, hunting, independent dogs. You, know, you draw me in a hunt, I almost promise you my dog's never going to treat a dog. And they're bred that way. I don't beat them. I don't shock them. They're bred that way. I mean, that's just the way they're bred. But my dogs were hard to handle. They were hard to get your hands on. Yeah. Just because they were so wide. Mm -hmm. In Chile, when he was young, Steve, you couldn't catch him with a shrimp net. I ain't lying to (laughs) you. You couldn't catch him. I mean, you couldn't shock him to come in. He just, he'd outrun that collar. Yeah. But when I got to handle him, you know, when he got hit, I don't care where he was, I could call him in. Mm -hmm. And so what I've noticed is that the time you spend with some of these dogs now, these dogs aren't like they were 30 years ago. No. the, 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 The intelligence of the dogs today And I'm not picking on nobody, but some of these dogs are smarter than the people that hunt. (laughs) True. (laughs) Including myself. Including myself at moments. I'll be honest. I'm guilty of it. But um, yeah, like I have a female now. I'm partners with a a fellow, two fellows. And I sold her as a puppy at Autumn Oaks. Um, I raised her. I raised the litter and sold her as a pup. Well, about. Eleven months later I bought her back from this young fella and he would got her running train and again she was one of them ones that, you know, is already running train and I can do my thing with her. And uh again, you couldn't catch her. Mhm. But as I spent time with her and kept her around me, I don't care where she is now I can call her in. Yeah. I don't care what she's doing, I'd call her.
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: and it definitely that, reflects on how they listen. And all. She's yeah. another
2: one. I can turn her loose here in the yard. She's in the kennel. She's the one that has puppies right now. Um, she right. comes in the house, wanders around, says hi to everybody. She jump on a bed with my daughter, go back out to her kennel. Just she's like having a yard dog.
1: So now is this female that has the puppies now the are the ones out of No, you, know, you said you just bred a female to uh, but
2: I also to bred, Willie. I bred to Willie twice.
1: Oh, okay. So these puppies are out of Willie too. Correct. Uh, yep. So you have yep. some of those available? Uh,
2: I don't know. She had seven and lost two. Right, you know, right when I was born. I, uh, so I have five. Mm-hmm. I have five right now, and uh, I'm actually partners. Uh, short story is, I went to work for the government for a while.
1: You're I'm from the government. D- You're here to help me, right?
2: Well, I went down to DC <laughs> D. to work like construction. know, uh, construction management. Right. On, on government jobs, basically. basically, I was working on like mm-hmm. uh, navy bases and that type of, that type of stuff. Uh, I didn't hands on work. I was doing estimating sure well long story short i I decided to sell this female i call her jewel Uh, right after the spring she was a one-year-old Superstakes, and i won three rounds and i ended up selling her because i knew i couldn't hunt for a while and that's the only time in my life i didn't hunt for about six eight months just because of my work i was traveling a bunch and just uh it sure. was one of those things, you know. So I sold it to a gentleman uh, who I'd known for years. I'd never met him personally, but I'd talked on the phone and, and known of him, uh, Jack Maggard in London, yeah. Kentucky.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So Jack's boy came up to Ohio, Jamie, and, and, and tried her, and he bought her. Well, then I realized about six months, they'd moved my work to home. Well, I could hunt. I couldn't really go to many hunts, but I could hunt. Yeah. So I just went on a search. My partner, Tom Gilbert, we went on a search looking for dogs, and I couldn't find nothing I liked. So Jack, uh, lucky to me, Jack uh, sold half her back to us,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and now I've had her. I've had her now for two and a half, three years.
1: I got you. Well, where am I going to run into you again? Is it going to be oaks Maybe
2: I'm going to try. Um, just because I always enjoy visit with everybody um it all depends you know steve uh, of course in today's world it all depends on my workload uh, family obligations horse shows (laughs) um well you know
1: duke i don't usually get political on this podcast and i'm not going to now in terms of naming names or anything like that but i just think The way I look at this thing, the way things are going in our country right now with these gas prices and inflation and everything else, is this is all prohibiting Americans like you and me, especially hunters like you and me, that love a sport that requires us to move around the country somewhat if we really want to enjoy it and, and, and see our friends that we've made over all the years and so forth. It, it's greatly crimping my life, uh, my my pursuit of happiness, <laughs> so to speak. And I don't like that. That makes me mad. I think we well, need to do something about that because we as Americans are, are being uh, mistreated right now. And somebody needs to get a grip on it. And I'm not sure who that is or when it will be, but I just know that I love, you know, all the years that I traveled, I was with I was on the registry's dime while you guys were out there pumping gas. You know, I was on a on an expense account. So I'm grateful for that. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to brag about that. But now I'm not, as Jimmy Phillips, my longtime friend, says, I'm on a fixed income. <laughs> So, you know, anything that hampers my ability to get around the country and see my friends, and especially go hunting, is is not a good thing, and it makes me a little mad to think about it.
2: Well, my input on part of this is this is the reason I bred this jewel dog when I bred her. I was watching gas prices climb. She came in the heat. I told Jack and Tom both, I said, listen, this is the time to breed her. We've never bred her. She was four years old. I said, It's time to breed her now. I said, We're not gonna be running up and down the road to go these some on gas being at that time four dollars, four, five, six, seven dollars a gallon. I said it's ridiculous. Right. I said, So let's get her bred now, raise a litter, you know. Um, so that that was kind of the input because Jack um is fortunate. his fortune he has real two good dogs on a Willie. And so he mm-hmm. won we thought about going to Willie. I said, Hey, listen, uh, that's great. I I, I should have bred a female to him earlier. I just just didn't happen, you know. Well, we get back these gas prices, and I'll be honest with you, Steve. I I'm fortunate. I have two partners that split the expenses with. You know, I I have a good situation, but I'm not going to take that kind of money every week or every month out of my family's mouth. I can afford it. I make good money. I have a good job. I've been self-employed for twenty-seven, twenty-eight years. But I just don't think it's fair to take seven, eight hundred thousand dollars out of my family's mouth to go to coupon.
1: Well, that's true, and I think a lot of guys have made a mistake over the years when they didn't get their priorities straight. And and I'm not knocking nobody. That does that. I'm I not knocking. either, and I'm I just started to say those that are economically uh, endowed, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah with With good finances and they can do that and and they can and it doesn't affect them i'm I'm glad for them i I really am, but I don't know what the average guy's going to do you know it will it be increased um participation at the local events mm, I think we've kind of swung the pendulum toward the the bigger events where the bigger Purses and, and more publicity. I think is. you'll see.
2: I think you'll see some of in in Coonheart areas, not here, uh, but in 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 areas. I think you'll see some of the larger, some of the smaller events picking up during the week. Yeah, guys. Um, yeah, you can go over here and spend a tank of gas, but uh, uh, you know somebody's got to spend four or five hundred on gas to get to a hunting home. That's a lot mm. of money.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: You know, for sure. <laughs> and I don't care what you drive for a vehicle. I mean, you know, none of them get. You're not know, getting anything gets over 18, 20 miles a gallon.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And her, that's, our, you know. Our horse,
2: our horse industry is taking a beating on this gas.
1: Oh, I bet. I bet. But, but I, you know, I,
2: see, in politic wise, I'm like you, I, I I don't really get into it. I, I know what the problem is, uh, I'm, and I'm not very well, I'm not a highly educated man, but it doesn't take one to figure it out. But they kept us home. It seems like. Our government, our administration wants to keep us home. Mm -hmm. You know, we went from covert to this to that. It's just like it's like a it's like a blanket holding us down.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I often said over the years, and I mentioned that I worked with uh, legal matters at UKC and and, uh, at a PKC as well. Now AKC had a special department that handled all that stuff, but I learned early, early on. That the animal rights movement is not about animals; it's about controlling the people who have animals. Absolutely, and, yeah. So I think that's what we're we're dealing with here. Well, hopefully uh, things will get better. Uh, the pump prices will go down. Truck prices. Oh my gosh! I'm driving a 2010 F-150 that I bought when I retired, and uh, I'm still driving it because. I get sticker shock when I well, look I'll be at the honest, prices. You yeah.
2: mm-hmm. see you laugh, but I have a I have a 2020, you know, 1 ton to the alley diesel. It sits here in my yard. I drive everywhere cuz I love the thing. And I've been thinking about buying a new one, but I drive an '09 Toyota Tacoma.
0: Yeah.
1: It has
2: 375,000 miles. <laughs>
1: They're great trucks. I had a couple would, of them I would, myself. I was
2: to Florida to visit you tomorrow. I wouldn't even think twice
1: yeah absolutely yeah. yeah yeah for sure well Duke it's been a great great visit with you. I always enjoyed uh, visiting with you and at the events and I always appreciate you coming up and shaking my hand and and uh, uh you know I knew you back when you were running hard and you were intense and you were focused and you weren't always the easiest guy to t- <laughs> deal with but you were focused. You were, uh, and I never had to bar you for anything. And I always enjoyed your friendship. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's good to be able to sit down like this and talk to you again. And, and there's so many guys out there that need, if they haven't met you, they need to. Guys out there in the listening uh, audience, you see this big burly guy, still got his hair talks with a Yankee accent, go up and say hello to him. You'll enjoy the experience. Duke, I want you to come back on a little later on uh, down the road, and we'll talk some more about your adventures, because I know we really haven't even uh, touched the surface on on all the stories that you could tell us. But I sure am happy that you came on the podcast with me. Is there anything that we – uh we're going to touch on that we didn't or that you'd like to say before we go
2: no steve uh, it's been a great uh it's always a pleasure talking to you You know that um and it is nice to yes you're right i have uh, a look that people don't approach me um i don't (laughs) know what it is my wife said i'm intimidating looking okay you've known me since i was 14 i'm the most i i will help anybody i know
1: know that's true I know that's true.
2: But people need to understand that in this coon dog world, in any world, like bass, fish, horses, race cars, it took me until I had a child, and maybe five years into having my daughter, that I realized that my biggest fans were my mom and dad.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah well you know and i know they are extremely proud of you i've spoken to them many times at the events and it's ironic that we're recording this on the day before father's day and we'll give a belated shout out because this won't be coming out until oh uh, actually a week from monday the cast will air on june 27th but uh okay. yep. yeah so but we'll give a but shout the out yeah,
2: And the people listening to this podcast, which I don't know who listens to them. Um, but I'll tell you, there's one thing I'd like everybody to understand um, in this world of coon hunting. We hear so many stories about this one and that one and this one. But people, and and I, I realize it now as I get older, I watch these younger fellows, uh, the Dust and Weeds, uh, Michael Wards, uh, you know, all these younger fellows that have really, you know, have come to the limelight, you know, the, the, they came to the top, you know, they wrote, people need to understand that these people have sacrificed so much of their life to get there.
1: Oh, yeah. Without it, a doubt. It,
2: yes. And I'm proud to know that these, you know, uh, you know, I always told them 10 years behind in life because of Coon Hunt. You know, because mm-hmm. I devoted, you know, them eight years of just being on the road. But without that, I wouldn't have your friendship um, and all the friendships I've made all over the countryside.
1: Absolutely true. Yep. I will. I, uh, if it had been broke, through, Yeah, go ahead. My,
2: my wife broke down just outside of St. Louis, Missouri, with hmm. a truck and trailer. I'm here working because, you know, you feel like your family's broke down. You, know, you feel hopeless. Oh yeah. You know who went and got my wife off the side of the road? amy and bill kovacs yep. here you know here we are you know in the coon hunt world i put something on, on facebook and amy and bill go get my wife off the road so them are the kind of friendships you, you develop just through this when you say well oh, you i missed 10 years of my life but then again here's the you know here's a person that you met through coon and that went not help your family
1: yeah i had amy on the podcast not long ago and she and billy thomas uh, uh you know have have been great friends and uh, their kids and all but i i remember following that uh that scenario on facebook yep. yeah you know it's such a a big family and it's often been said that you know when someone's in trouble coon hunters always come come to the front yep. you know well, they may true. they may be hard to deal with out there in the two hour contest sometimes but when the chips are down and they and you really need somebody, call yeah, a no, fellow Coon Hunter. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. We'll see if it's been a pleasure. If it's, I ever do anything of you in a further, if you want bear hunt, whatever, please contact us. Let us know. And hopefully we'll see you at Automobiles.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to it, Duke. And if not then maybe at Grand American in January. But uh, uh you stay safe out there on the highways, don't let the heat get to you and uh good luck with those puppies and if, if uh, somebody uh maybe is interested in a pup could well, how could they get in touch with you
2: right on facebook probably yeah. easiest
1: and it's larry duke Prue duke p-r-o-u-l-x, proulx. that's it folks that's our episode for this week uh, thanks to duke prue for coming on and uh and being our uh, guest we'll uh close this one out just like I do every week by saying if somebody asks you where I am just tell him he's gone to the dogs.